to, to speak today. Busy day. Uh, I taught your Sunday school class today, and now here I am in big church. If you watched the video, I did that this morning and then came. And, not really. I videoed that a long time ago. Um, but uh, the, to get to continue the 40 days of prayer is, is so cool because our prayer as staff is that this would literally be church, family, community changing. Like that we look back and go, those 40 days had significance and things were never the same after those 40 days. That's really what we're praying. And, and we see life changing, world changing, personal changing things happening in our lives all the time. And when we watch those things and see those things, but then we kind of become numb to them. It's like, that's oh, just another piece. It's another piece. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And so today I want to dig in a little bit, maybe look at it a little bit differently than maybe we have before. But I want to start with this because this is one of those world chain things. Who watched the Olympics? Anybody? Olympic people watching? Yeah, several did. Um, I watched it. I'm not necessarily a Winter Olympics guy. Uh, America wins the Summer Olympics, so I like that better. And uh, we're not a winner. But Winter Olympics offer you the opportunity to see more crashes, uh, which is fun uh, to see. And there's interesting things in the Winter Olympics, too. Like this one. Like I have several pictures here. Look at Curling. Now, there's pros and cons to this. The pro is you can, you can wear your pajamas uh, in it, and, and I could probably do this. Like, it doesn't look that hard. The negative is you're doing housework while you're competing, and I'm not necessarily a fan of that. And so that's kind of one of those weird things there. Uh, and then the combined luge. This, this, that's, it's, it's extreme spooning is what is happening in there, and they're going really fast down the deal. But then it goes to another level of crazy when you have the skeleton. Like, that's just extreme stupidity, I think. I, like, face first down the ice, it's there. But there was a new event this year that I thought was amazing. I don't know if you saw it. Mass start speed skating. Have you seen this? Look at this. This is incredible to me. Because speed skating is just a few guys racing or whatever doing their thing. They're going to take 28 guys for a 20-lap race wearing spandex with knives on their shoes, and they're going to race on ice. Like, this is awesome to me. Like, this is... People without cars, like, and they're like NASCAR, and someone goes down, and they start with five fingers, they come up with one, and I mean, just, they're getting sliced. I just think it's fascinating. I didn't see any massive wrecks with it, but I thought, that's an event I can watch, but would never want to do ever in my life. But here's the best thing about the Olympics to me is this. The Olympics means the entire world is watching as teenagers change the world. Now, you notice that? I mean, whether it's, whether it's uh, figure skating or snowboarding or all these events, teenagers are the story. Teenagers are changing the world. I'm a fan of teenagers. I'm a youth pastor for a long time, and I believe teenagers are going to change the world. And the world is watching every four years for the Olympics or whether it's winter or summer, whatever that time comes, the world is watching teenagers change the world. But then just a week and a half or so ago, we also had something in Florida that was another thing at Stoneman Douglas School. And the entire world was watching as a teenager changed the world. Now, it didn't change it the way we wanted it to change. It took 17 lives. But teenagers are going to change the world. And teenagers, I challenge you on this. You're going to change it for good or you're going to change it for evil. And the choices that you make will define that. Does that mean you're going to win a gold medal? If you don't win a gold medal, it's going to be evil? No, that's not what I'm saying. But God has called you to greatness to change the world. I believe that. And he's called all of us to that. And, and, and I love to see it because we, we face these things and, and it seems like the news media is constantly showing us the worst of the worst. Like that's their goal. How can we broadcast the worst because that's going to get the best ratings? They don't start with the good. Rarely you get a feel-good story occasionally, but it's mostly the tragedy because 
life is hard and things hurt and, and they don't feel good. And we have to figure out how we're going to respond to that. And so the thing about hard things in life is this. Life has been hard for a long time. This isn't new to our generation. This isn't new to our country. Life has been hard for a long time. We can rewind the clock all the way back. Biblical times, Acts chapter 8 is where we'll look here real quick for just a second. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And it says, and Saul approved of their killing him. Now, their killing him is Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. He had, he had been bold in his walk with Christ. He had proclaimed things that people didn't like to hear. And so they drug him out of the city and they stoned him and he died And it says Saul was there approving of their killing him. So killings are not anything new either. Might go back to the very beginning of the first family ever created. Cain killed Abel. I mean, death has been a part of that. And it's not fun. And it doesn't feel good. And we don't like it. And we mourn. And we cry. And it's sad. But even here it says, and Saul approved of their killing him. And then there was a a response to that. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. I mean, this, this killing, this thing that happened started a, a persecution that would last for two years against the church. Like, this wasn't just a one day, we better run and hide. This is, we've got to move our family kind of thing. Like, this is radical stuff that went on here. And so they moved to Jerusalem, I mean, to Judea and Samaria. Verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now, this was not a pleasant time to be a Christ follower. We don't deal with that in America much. I mean, we have the freedom to come in here and worship today. We, we can go to church on Wednesday night, go to men's Bible study, ladies' Bible. I mean, we've got opportunities for that. We can read our Bible and pray anytime we want without fear of persecution like this. But life has been hard. It was hard on them. Everything changed in that moment. And you fast forward to now. Life is hard now. We're walking through a lot of that. I mean, Mark with his double knee surgery, and then it leads to blood clots, and Pam's mom passing away. That's not pleasant. That's not fun to go through. Andrea Farrell's dad, 15 days ago, gets diagnosed with cancer. 15 days later, he passes away. That's hard. That's not fun. Riley York, a senior at Round Rock High School. Outstanding young lady. She's got cancer. Life is hard. Life is heavy. It's not pleasant that's there. Wednesday night, we're talking about prayer with the youth over here and, and how God and how prayer is a refuge for when we're dealing with different things. And these students shared stuff about what's going on. And it's hard. It's grandparents that have cancer. It's other situations that are happening in their lives that are hard. It's not pleasant. I, I told them Wednesday, I said, hey, coming up, I get to have double hip replacement surgery this year. So we're going to be the bionic staff. Well, we're going to be, me and Mark. We're worth $6 million because of our parts now. Right? Or maybe the medical bills are $6 million. I don't know. But, but that's happening. I know what's coming up at the end of spring break for me. I get my right hip replaced. And then later on, I get my left hip replaced. That's not fun. I don't want to look forward to that. I, I look at this right here. If you remember the day that we did these prayer tags, that's heavy. That's your stuff. Those are the things you wrote on these tags and said, I need this to go to the cross. I need this to be bigger than. I need God to be bigger than this. And so we recognize every Tuesday, each staff member grabs one out and we pray over it every single Tuesday. And we'll get through every one of those tags. That's our commitment to you as a piece of prayer. 
And so we know life is hard. It's heavy. The things that you're dealing with, it breaks our hearts to read some of those things in there. From simple things to to complex things to to things that we have no idea what the conclusion was. We just pray. And and so we we cry out on that and, and do these things because we know life can be so hard and tough and heavy and the things that you go through. And I could mention more and more as I look around and I know your stories and I know what's happening. Life's hard. But yet Romans 8.28 tells us this. All things work together for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. And that just feels so nice to say that verse. All things work together for good. Yeah, until something bad happens. And then what we do is we start defining good. You're busy. Can I take that off your plate? Can I offer to remove one thing that you don't have to do anymore? You can stop defining good because God is good. And so, therefore, when it says all things work together for good, it's not how I define it. It's how he defines it because he's good. And we can be taken off the hook of that work. But we have a response. All things work together for good to those who love God. How do we love God? We spend time with them. How do you love anybody? You spend time with them. That's what prayer and reading your Bible is. That's what that is. And so when you, when you go through these things and, and defining this stuff, we've got we've to do that. But we don't like to, to trust him when we're hurting. Like we, we don't like that. Don't, this isn't working together for good, God. Well, then quit defining good. We put so much stock in the temporary, and God sees the eternal. And so we've got we've to stop doing that. We have to have a different response. And today I want to dig into some scripture, and it's probably not going to be in your Bible that you have in your hand. It may be on your phone, because we're going to look at the message version of a scripture today. Because I think it speaks clearly to our hearts and gives us some action items in this. It's in Lamentations chapter 3. It's a weird place to go when you think about prayer and the 40 days of prayer, because Lamentations is a book about lamenting. Oh, whoa. Like, and that's where we're going to go? Yeah, that's where we're going to go. Lamentations 3, and verses 28 and 29. And this gives us... It gives us, I don't know, some good action items to follow through. And so we're going to just kind of break it down phrase by phrase. It'll be on the screen so you can get all that. It starts by saying this. When life is heavy and hard to take. Can you relate to that phrase? Has that ever happened to you? Has life ever been heavy or hard to take? I just gave a whole bunch of circumstances. And there's many more that you guys are dealing with. And it doesn't say if life is heavy and hard to take. It says when. Now, it doesn't say Every day, life will be heavy and hard to take. It says when life is heavy. There's seasons of this. When life is heavy and hard to take. God understands life's going to be hard. He recognizes that we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful place. And as a result, our human nature is going to respond in a sinful way unless we are under the authority of Christ. It's a choice we make. So when life is heavy and hard to take, but he doesn't just leave it there like when life is heavy and hard to take, it's really not going to feel very good, so good luck with that. But that's, not, that's not what he says. When life is heavy and hard to take, it's like a grenade. I'm just going to throw it to you and let you figure it out. It just blows up. Like, no, that's not who God is. He says, when life is heavy and hard to take, let me give you some action items that can follow that. Because you're going to go through those seasons, right? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So he says, when life is heavy and hard to take, the next phrase is this, go off by yourself. Oh, man, really? Like, that's the first thing I have to do? I have to be alone? Like, when life is heavy and hard to take, I want to call someone and complain. 
I want to call and go, hey, feel sorry for me. I want to start a GoFundMe. Like I, these are the things I want to do when life is heavy and hard to take. Someone else needs to carry it for me. When life is heavy and hard to take, it shouldn't be on me. Someone else should do it because it's not fair. Like these are the responses that maybe it's just me, but I see it in the world today. When life is heavy and hard to take, I go rally the troops to make me feel better. God says, when life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Be alone. We don't like to be by ourselves. It's weird to be by ourselves. But go off by yourself. It's good to be alone and think and clear your head. Let your mind, your soul, your spirit, your heart rest. Because we're frantically trying to respond. He says, man, go go off by yourself. It's okay to do that. I mean, Jesus did it. How many times do we read in Scripture, he went off to a mountain to pray before or after some significant event was happening? When life was heavy. You think life wasn't heavy and hard to take for Jesus? When everyone saw him either was coming against him because they didn't like him, or they were saying, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal my brother, heal my sister, heal my friend, heal my, heal, heal, heal. There was a constant drain out of him. And so he had to escape, whether it's onto the boat by himself, up on a mountain by himself. He spent 40 days in the desert by himself. Satan showed up a few times in there. But Jesus did it, and if he needed it, how much more do we need it? Are we willing to schedule it? Are we willing to do that? I appreciate a pastor that gets on to me for not taking my day off if I don't take it. You need that? You better refresh, Alan. Like, I'm reminded of that. He does a great job of that. And so go off by yourself is the first step. But don't just go stand alone like, okay, I'm by myself. What what do I do here, God? Here I am. Okay, let's give you the next sentence. Enter the silence. It's getting worse. Now I'm by myself. Now I have to be quiet. But I'll be by myself on my phone. You're not by yourself. I'll be by myself on Snapchat. No, you won't. Instagram, no. Facebook, no. Just turn on the radio, no. Enter the silence. Silence is uncomfortable. I could just stand here for one minute and you guys would be twitching like crazy because you want something to be said. But we just said, enter the silence. When I was in high school, I had a coach who loved me, and he gave me some incredible advice. He spoke truth to me that resonated deep in my heart. I'm like, that's going to rock my world. That's going to change me. And it's been a year or 30 since I've been in high school. And, and so I still remember it to this day and what he said. And he loved me enough to speak it to me and, and really in my heart. And he said, Alan, there's two words change my life. He said, Alan, shut up. There you go. How about that? I know we're not supposed to say that word in front of our kids. Changed my world. I love to talk. Love to hear myself talk. I got a degree in speech communications. So I could talk, right? Let's take classes where I get to talk. I don't have to listen. Enter the silence. Can we be quiet enough to listen? Can we... Tune out the noise long enough to let something else speak. So I used to think that silence was a position. You need to be silent. But it's not a position, it's a place. Enter the silence. Like you enter a room, or you enter a contract, or you enter a relationship, right? These are the things you enter into. It's a conscious effort. It's a choice you make. I will either enter or I will not enter. I will go in or I will stay out. 
Enter the silence. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself and then shut up. Enter the silence. Be willing to step into that. And it's not uncommon. I mean, silence is something that if you don't choose it, maybe God will for you. There's evidence of that. Think about that. Daniel entered the silence. Thank goodness the lions were silent. Right? Lazarus entered the silence. Some called it death. Jesus entered the silence in the tomb. Jonah entered the silence in a fish. Paul, Saul, when he was Saul on his way to becoming Paul, the one we read about at the very beginning, he's persecuting Christians, persecuting the church, doing all this stuff. He decides to take a trip to Damascus because there's more Christians there he wants to get a hold of. And on his way there, this blinding light went, enter the silence. And it said he didn't speak or eat or sleep for three days. Enter the silence. John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, he was mute the entire pregnancy. Like God designed silence on purpose. But every one of those people came out better at the end of the silence. It didn't come out worse. So enter the silence. Are you willing to do that? When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourself. Enter the silence. Now, what do you do? So I've gone in. I've turned everything off. All right, I'm I'm just going to be quiet. What do I do then? Well, he gives us the next action item. Bow in prayer. It doesn't say just pray. Bow in prayer. It's an it's a act of humility. You bow in prayer. This whole thing of 40 days of prayer campaign is to do that. Hopefully you heard in your small group today the beginnings of the Lord's Prayer. When the disciple said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, all right, let me teach you how to pray. Here it was, and he laid out the Lord's Prayer, not so that we would have a ritual of words to repeat or a chant to say. It's an attitude of our hearts that we cry out in this way. These are the things that are important. These are the things that God wants to hear. These are the things that are there. And so he says, bow in prayer. And we're digging in and discussing that. So I don't need to go into more of that. You're thinking, well, I didn't go to small group. Well, then get there. They're going to be online. Go listen to those things. Go learn from that stuff. So that whenever you do have the discipline and when life is heavy and hard to take and you go off by yourself and you enter the silence and you bow in prayer, now you've got a strategy. Now you've got an understanding of the steps to take there. But then it says this. Let me tell you, I'm not going to tell you what to pray, but I'm going to tell you what not to pray is the next phrase. So we're going to go off by ourselves. We're going to bow in prayer, and we're going to not ask questions. The next thing it says is don't ask questions. Now, this is where I mess up a whole lot. I confess that before you right here. When life is heavy and hard to take, all I want to do is ask questions. Or let me just rephrase that. All I want to do is ask question. And maybe that's what it should say. Don't ask question. Because all I want to know is why. Why? Why did that have to happen to Mark's knees? Why did he get a blood clot? Why did Pam's mom die? Why did Andrea's dad die? Why did Riley get cancer? Why? 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 When life is heavy and hard to take, I want to know why. I don't want to go off by myself. I don't want to be quiet. I don't want to, I want to know why. And he says, don't ask questions. This is where your truster gets stronger. This is when we roll back to Romans 8:28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Don't ask questions. Go love God. Go trust Him. And it's hard because life is hard. But He has proven Himself worthy. And if He can beat sin and death, He can beat what we're going through. And He reminds us in these moments that there is way more to life than this life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life and life abundant and life eternal. And we put so much stock in these suits we're borrowing. 
And these things that we collect, and we put so much value in that. And God says, take your eyes off your circumstances. Put them on me. When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But when we stare at our circumstances, the light of God becomes dim. So don't ask questions. Lean in. Trust. Listen. See, the other part of that is I want to give my opinion. Because I know what's best for me. Because I know me. You don't know me. No, I only created you in your mother's womb, Alan. Dang it. I don't know how many hairs I have in my head, though. I know that one. But I want to give my opinion. I want to say what's right. I want to say what I think it should be. And here's the deal. This is not uncommon to me, and I know this to be sure. Because, for sure, my Mind was changed. My heart was transformed because of what you wrote on Facebook, said no one ever. But yet we want to declare our opinion. And you need to think this way. You need to vote this way. You need to do this thing. We need to have these controls. We need to... You're not going to change anyone's opinion. But you know what does? Prayer. Prayer changes minds. It's scriptural. Prayer transforms hearts. It's scriptural. God is in the transformation business. We aren't. It's not our job to change others. It's our job to proclaim how great God is and that he can change things. So you want to go off bow in prayer and don't ask questions. He gives you plenty of other things to do. Cry out on behalf of other people. Cry out that God would be real in those circumstances. Cry out for healing. That's great. But Mark's challenged us before. We spend more time praying people out of heaven than we do in. People get sick. Don't let them die. Don't let them die. Don't let them die. Don't let them go to heaven. But when's the last time we cried out about don't let them die because they're not ready for heaven yet? See, this has to be priority. This, This prayer thing changes people. God moves in prayer, not on Facebook. Not on Instagram. God moves through prayer. And then the last thing he says this, after you bow in prayer, don't ask questions, you have one more action item. It says this, wait for hope to appear. See, now waiting. Like, this is terrible. Like, this is the worst possible advice you can give someone in America. Hey, man, I'm really sorry life is, life is hard right now. I'm really tough. Let me, let me give you some advice. Go off by yourself and shut up and bow in prayer and don't ask questions and wait. It feels like a miserable place to be. But God gives us his strategy and he says, wait for hope to appear. Can I tell you that hope is coming and it's not your fairy godmother? It's Jesus. Hope has a name. It's Jesus. And it's time for us to realize that all of us want hope. All of us want hope. Nobody doesn't want hope. Nobody is against that. But can I tell you this? Hope may not look like what you think it looks like. Quit defining good. Quit defining hope or putting hope in a box when Jesus has what's best. And hope is coming. Hope will appear. Wait for hope to appear. It doesn't say wait and hope for hope to appear. Wait for hope to appear. Hope has a name and he's coming. You made that promise. This is temporary residence for us right here. Uh, Thursday night, we had, we had a great time at this, at this prayer time. And I... I was kind of back row, not kind of, I was sitting on the very back row with Colby and Molly. And we were sitting there, Amy was up here singing, and, and we were on the back row. And, and so I was just kind of like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to support, I'm gonna be, take my kids, maybe we'll have a teachable moment or whatever. And so I'm back there with Colby and Molly. It was really a sweet time. Parents, I can tell you, if you ever have a chance to take your kids to that, don't take them and say, hey, be quiet. 
take them and say, let's do this together. And they got to, to talk with me, and we got to talk through what these pastors meant, you know, because they're crazy up here. And, and so I'm like, well, this is what we're supposed to pray. And so I'm there, and we're praying together. I'm getting to hear my kids pray, kind of, because it's kind of just a mumble around. Everybody's praying. And, and it was just a sweet moment to hold each of them in my arms and do that. And we were towards the end. We are here a little over an hour, um, and they were getting ready to wrap up, and we were praying. And, and we were finishing praying, and Molly looked up at me, and she goes, Daddy, I see Jesus sitting next to me. That's what I did. Oh, I'm like, that's really sweet in your prayers, you know, in your mind. I'm like, she goes, no, he's sitting next to me. Hope appeared. Hope appeared to my baby girl. And it convicted me. When's the last time that I stopped long enough to let hope appear? When's the last time I believed it would happen for me? Because I'm really good at believing it for other people. But I want to believe it for me. I want you to believe it for you because hope's coming and we all want hope. You go to Romans 5, verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Hope encourages. Hope lifts us up. We all want hope. If I were to ask anybody in any situation, if I go to the hospital and go patient to patient to patient to patient, they all want hope. Parents pray that for their kids. Hope, right? And that, that happens. And so we want hope, but are we willing to get there? It says, wait for hope to appear. There's a process because we love verse 5, but now we have to go back to verses 3 and 4 and go, oh, context. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, the heaviness, when life is heavy and hard to take. We can call that suffering. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Is a process. The suffering isn't forever. The heaviness of life is not forever. It's doing work in you for perseverance, to learn how to run with perseverance the race marked out for you, right? That's what he's called us to do. And that develops our character. It's our internal, our character and who we are, which then produces hope because our character connects with Christ and hope comes because his name is Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great to know that when he says, wait for hope to appear, it's not something that might happen. It's not something that may happen. It's not something if you're good enough, it'll happen. No, it says it's coming. But know that there's going to be perseverance and know there's going to be character development in you, which doesn't always feel good. But hope is coming. And then you go to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. All the suffering, all the troubles, all the heartache, all the hurts, all of that. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. We've got to take our eyes off circumstances and hurts and heartaches. Yes, we deal with them. Yes, we do. But we take them to the Lord. We go before him. We go off by ourselves and say, this is something I'm going to deal with here. It doesn't say stay by yourself, but take a moment to do that. Jesus always came back when he went by himself. He didn't go off by himself and never come back. He always came back. You'll come back, but you can't skip these steps because hope is on its way. And we miss hope so often because we're too busy dealing with our circumstances. When we can just stop, rest in Him, find the hope that He has. That's what these 40 days of prayer are for. 
to teach us how to do this in the deepest part of who we are because God already knows it. And that's my challenge for us. And so I'm going to ask the band to come, and, and we're just going to pray um, here. We're going to respond. I don't know. But here's what I'm going to ask. It's, I get it. We're, we're, we're hungry, and we want to go somewhere. But I am more hungry for God than I am La Margarita. See, now you're like, that's not fair. You can't say that, Al. But are we willing to listen right now? And I don't know what your response is, because typically when the band plays, we all stand, we sing, we do our thing, we start packing our stuff up, and we're good to go, and we've completely cut out listening. This is the time we listen. Like, I don't care if you heard me, but I care if you hear God. And this is the time he speaks loudest is when I shut up. And so I'm asking you to respond. If you need to come to the altar and just pray and be alone here, which you can do with other people, If you need to come be prayed over by some of our prayer team, they're going to be here. If you need to go take the Lord's Supper, it's over there. But you need to respond accordingly. Maybe it's just sit in your seat and listen so that you can respond. And maybe it's a conversation you need to have at lunch with your family. I don't know. I'm not trying to put in your head. But I know that God's not done. He's just starting. And he's probably glad that I'm done so he can get started. So I'm going to pray and we're going to respond. Heavenly Father, you are so good.